1: When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice.
0: Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end.
1: But for professional advice, a Remax agent actually knows best.
0: Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here.
1: Remax is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.
2: Welcome to Copfather. I am Craig Vermell. I've got a good friend joining me today, Matt Scoff, President of the Ottawa Police Association. How are you doing, my friend?
3: I'm doing well, Craig. Doing well. It's good to uh, hear from you again and see
2: you. I'm trying to talk to as many police leaders as possible, especially those leaders who have a great reputation like yourself in protecting police officers, because in this day and age, whether things happen down in the States, it, it affects all policing up here in Canada. So First of all, you're president of the Ottawa Police Association. What's your strength? What's the membership strength?
1: 1,500
3: sworn, 600 civilian. Uh, and I know in uh, Canadian policing terms, it's interesting, and Craig, you would know this too, obviously, in, from Ontario East, the, associate, the police associations represent the civilians, but west of Ontario, there are different unions within the, the structure of policing. The associations represent the sworn, and you'll have a CUPE representing the civilians. I, and I bring it up because it does add a dynamic there's a little change in dynamics we represent two collective agreements when we're bargaining, right? We have the sworn one and the civilian one.
2: And you're, you're actually in negotiations right now.
3: That's right. Yeah. We're on my, uh, it's my 10th year. And this is my fifth collective agreement that I'm now working on.
2: So one of the issues obviously with policing everywhere now in North America is the defunding term and how do you find that in Ottawa? And just so our listeners everywhere, Ottawa is the capital of Canada, very important city, big city a lot of things that happen in Ottawa with law enforcement can affect police officers everywhere. Does the term defunding come up at all?
3: Defund comes up. Uh, We have a couple of city councillors. And again, for for your listeners, so they know policing in Ontario and in Canada, it's funded municipally most of the time. Uh, There are provincial or state, however you want to call it. We have state or provincial policing. There is federal policing at the RCMP level, but the majority of policing in Canada is funded by the local municipality and so our city councillors will dominate the dialogue on the budget discussions. We have a couple in Ottawa, and I got to say, it's not anywhere near the greater Toronto area or GTA, as we call it. It doesn't have the same uptick. It, it does exist in Ottawa, but it adds to the difficulties around bargaining. In fact, I, I would suggest that it is going to influence how bargaining goes this round is because it defund the police concept uh, or the, the the rhetoric around it. But nowhere near, I would say, in relative terms, it's not as uh, pronounced as it is in the Greater Toronto Area.
2: So, with uh, negotiations regarding contracts, or let's talk about defunding the police here in Canada. When you have eighty-five to ninety percent, uh, a police budget being salaries and benefits of the of your members or the employees of the police service, really the only way of making an impact on defunding is is layoffs or stop hiring or whatever, and these people have to remember that any negotiated contract with yourself or anywhere else, it takes two to tangle here. And the city police service boards in the past have agreed with you, whether it's going through arbitration or negotiated. So whatever is in place now, when it comes to a budget, primarily the municipality has agreed with you along the line. They have been in a position where they have to give whatever raises or wherever the budget is today.
3: That's well, that's, it's the comparable argument that we have, you have the defund argument now, or the defund position now, I should say. And if we go back over the last 10 years, we had a political attack on the arbitration system. Mm-hmm. They did what was called coordinated bargaining. What was coordinated bargaining at that time, which was basically only preset what the budget would be. So if Toronto gave three percent, which you know the, the Toronto Police Services Board and the City Councillors would get sort of chastise amongst their groups for doing so, the other mayors and city councillors would try to hold the line at like 1% or 2%. So they did coordinate or attempted it anyways. But because we do comparable bargaining or comparable arbitration, it wasn't successful because somebody at some point for political favour changes and breaks away from that concept. Now in the defund argument is the same position is where they're going to try and say, you know, we can only, we, we want to do what's called zero-sum bargaining. So we don't want to provide any salary increase unless we take away somewhere else in the collective agreement. And they'll say it's because, well, we can't justify to the public providing a raise because the public wants to defund the police. This is what is completely misleading. The the public, and even with the amount of racial tension that is discussed in policing, which has come up uh, from the U.S. into Canada, even that does not equate or show to be accurate in the stats. The, we're still looking at an 85% public supports the police. And obviously, you know, you may have a, depending on the time of day when the survey is done, you may have a 5% variance there, but the vast majority of the public completely supports the police. Uh, that That is a choice, a political choice made. And I would suggest that it's taking advantage of the narrative of defund the police, which has not changed in the positions that the city councillors have taken for a decade which is just to try and lower the percentage of the budget that policing is in the municipal overall budget for city hall. It's the same. It changed the term to defund the police. So we have not changed as a percentage per capita of that budget for a decade. We hover around 20% of the budget. City council has tried many times to suggest that it's, you know, uh, and those that are again, pro defunding the police or, or just holding or like uh, cutting the police budgets because they just politically don't like to be viewed as supporting police. This is what shifted, right? It's now the what is trendy within the media to support now. And because the media has shifted dramatically from looking at police as a, a supported uh, public institution, which I, again, believe it still is. Absolutely, the stats bear it out. The media has chosen to frame the police in a negative light the politicians will then also choose to frame the police or, or distance themselves from the police budget by trying to spin a narrative that is inaccurate around the budgets. We haven't changed. It's 20%. Yes, they go up, but so do the overall municipal budgets. We go up, they go up. It goes the exact same pace.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I've always said that when I was negotiating contracts, defunding the police was always around. They would always go in and want less. But it's so political now. You know, I've said over and over again, being anti-police in general is a multi-billion dollar industry in North America. People make a lot of money at this. And the media will jump on it because it sells their advertising. It's six o'clock news. It's front page news. And people financially benefit from attacking the police more today than ever before. So a big part of the podcast is talking about what goes on behind the blue line and When it comes to your job, your primary job is to protect police officers and your civilian members. How's that changed, do you think, in the last ten years, Matt?
3: Protecting the officers, right? A key point. My own personal situation, and for about seven, eight years of my in my career as president, I'm an elected position, obviously. For seven years, I was never defined as a police officer, and I. It's impossible to perform the duties in this office that I sit in and still be a police officer. I'd be in breach of. The Police Services Act, 20 times a day, right now, I'd be in breach of the Police Services Act for doing what I'm just talking, because the the, the chief uh, in any municipality, it's not exclusive to Ottawa, owns the act. I mean, it is crystal clear. There is no person in Canada as powerful as a municipal chief, and that includes the queen. They initiate the investigation, so they're the complainant, they're the investigator, they prosecute it, and they own the decision process because they hire
2: the judge A banana Republic, dictatorship. That's right. They hired. It's kangaroo court. Same definition.
3: Uh, nobody has more power than the chief. They, we can't put in complaints against chief. There's no standing for our members to have an investigation occur unless the chief chooses it. This is why we have systemic sexual harassment or just harassment in general and policing. It's just like the military. It's no different. There is no way for a member of a police department to have standing to go to an independent body. And a couple of years ago I was charged criminally and I will limit my comments because they are still before the courts. But all of a sudden my definition was changed because somebody knew at some point, and it was obviously the chief, that they were able to control this process. So defending officers, defending our members, sworn and civilian, is very difficult in this environment. As soon as authorities are abused, and those authorities in the chief's office, in the chief's hands, are absolute. Once they make a decision, you cannot challenge it. And in this environment, adding the rhetoric, frenetic rhetoric around policing, tying in race discussions, you are behind, you are already set many steps back behind in getting a message out that is fair for the members roles are confused that again once you're considered a police officer or you know a chief of you know a vindictive chief considers you a police officer they don't they can literally abuse all processes and you are left fighting hopefully with support thank goodness and I thank God every day for this uh, hopefully the support of your membership not every person in my position always has the support because we are elected it's uh, you know but for that grace of that support, I'd be in a very different position, Craig. I wouldn't be able to talk to you right now. So I'm very fortunate.
2: So can you talk about what's happened with the criminal stuff?
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions.
0: Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate?
1: Luckily, a Remax agent has answers.
0: Hey Brian, those are really good questions.
1: They are? Thanks. It's my
0: first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you.
1: Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.
3: Well, it's it's still before the courts. It's obviously my civil case that we proceeded with the, the chief two years ago. They banned me from. They suspended me, right? So, which is so ridiculous. I get suspended from policing, but I'm not acting in any capacity as a police officer. Right. So the suspension was, it was, it was moot, but it was very ab- abusive in that they also banned me from police services board meetings and tending the building. So I couldn't help our members at, uh, you know, criminal calls, like SIU calls, or whatever we shooting, the criminal investigations occurring against our officers. My civil case uh, in the Ottawa jurisdiction was tossed out saying we didn't have jurisdiction to sue. Fortunately at the court of appeals, unanimous decision saying that, My contract states that I'm able to sue, I can't use a grievance process because I'm an independent employee at the association. I'm employed by the association. Thank goodness the Court of Appeal, which is based in Toronto, unanimously decided that it's even questioned whether or not I'm a police officer. So it was a huge sigh of relief. That was in October last year, that decision came out, which allowed for some breathing space for other associations to challenge a decision made by the chief abusively with their authorities in the police services act can now be challenged in civil court, which has opened up case law across the country now for other association presidents to use for their own potential abuses that are occurring in the organization. And I say that because the service has, again, they are so immunized the collective agreement process and a grievance process. If anybody understands a labor process is very narrow. There has never been an ability to challenge a chief in a civil context. And this will be the first one that opens up that door. And as much as it's been a long battle here in Ottawa for myself personally, as well as professionally, there are other presidents who are, who have been experiencing it, just may not be as well known, but at least now they are able to use that case law to say to their chief that, you know, be careful. You have now that little chill up your spine saying you are not completely you're not imbued with absolute power anymore. There Good. is now a mechanism of a check and balance.
2: And what what is the criminal charge?
3: What is uh, it's the- a breach of trust as a police officer yeah. for doing my job. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how I would summarize it. I'm doing my job. I'm holding the chief and politicians accountable. And I am now defined, seven years later, they define me as a police officer saying, I can't do that. Yeah. So I'm, you know, on because they get to define it. That's right, on a whim. They get to define what... Uh, the position of a police officer is, or who is. And after seven years of doing it, I get redefined as a police officer. And well, it's because you're like doing I, your
2: job, you're were were protecting my your job, members, um, and I didn't it, like it.
3: They didn't like it, and it was quite intentional. Uh, and obviously, with the hope of getting me out of office again, thank you, Cosmos, Karma, and but for the support of my members, I was just reelected uh, in December, just a couple months past. So I'm hopeful that that's another good signal that whatever best laid plans they had have not come to fruition.
2: Well, taking it from a person that's been accused of just about everything, Matt, extortion, obstruction, threat to put us in jail, myself and my board, was just because we were doing our jobs. We had a certain style at the time. And it encouraged us even more, and I think you should take this, is if you weren't doing your job, if you were being a puppet, to the masters, then they wouldn't be bothering with you like this. The fact that you are doing your job is exactly the way you should be doing your job as the president of the police association. It's almost, to me, it's the type of person you are when it comes to this, the fact that they have charged you that. And I hope that everybody out there, whether it's the association, I think people have to be educated on what you've gone through, what you are going through, and everybody across the board should take a stand. If I was in Toronto still running it, I'd be beside you there because... We wouldn't want to start case history here. That's how we approached it. We, we represented a lot of police services out there when a member was getting screwed because of the politics. I just did a podcast on it where the amount of politics behind the scenes, you are guilty till proven innocent as a police officer. And there's a number of mechanisms in place, whether it's internal investigations, civil rights, SIU. Uh, there's so many ways of, of screwing a police officer or an association president. My belief was to we gotta counter that we gotta we gotta be just as mean, and that that was our approach. And luckily, I had a board, and I had thousands of members that agreed with me. So it, we put a stop to it. They just said, "This is going to be our style. We're not breaking the law. We're not breaking the rules. We're just protecting those who protected others."
3: And you, Craig, you brought up uh, you said something there. It Just is, is I cannot understate this. Uh, it cannot be understated. The having a supportive board has um, meant everything for me. And I'm very fortunate with that.
2: So let's go back to, uh, in general, to protecting your police officers and, and your civilian members now. Obviously, it's more demanding now than ever before, mainly because of what we talked about earlier, the coverage with the media. There's more special interest groups out there now. Their only goal is to control the police, even though the vast majority, 95%, 98% of your members are just performing their duties the way they've either been trained to or they're, they're giving the extra mile to protect the citizens of, of Ottawa, which is what any police officer wants to do. That's all they want to do, keep the politics out of it. I've talked about this before. It seems like certain groups out there, and, and I'm, I'm including politicians, it just seems like they just want to hang a copper to show that they can do it. And they it, it just seems like they're just waiting for a trophy of some kind.
3: I, moral injury. That's the state of policing right now. Morally injured. Our members every day have to listen to people on social media. social media, Craig, that is what has changed what I this is my belief, anyways. the advancement of social media, because journalism is no longer that institution that existed 20- plus years ago from and it, obviously it evolved over decades anyways. But the advancement of social media has created a journalist out of anybody who wants to be a pundit has an opinion can do so anonymously due to the fact that Facebook and Twitter and all the, the major platforms are not held civilly liable for the comments that they derive there's no liability they're they 're not,
2: po- not policed in any way
3: that's right and they make billions of dollars in revenue and yet the Ottawa citizen in Ottawa and CDC et cetera the traditional journalistic institutions they are held accountable so they have a legal vetting process they to be very cautious around liabilities, libel, civil libel. But yet social media allows somebody to impugn an officer, declare him a racist, and that officer cannot speak. They cannot speak. And it's important for your listeners to know this. If they speak, they will be charged. If they go and defend themselves on social media, they will be charged. Without permission of the chief. That's right. And where, and you know, Craig, you brought up the very beginning of this program, you even said it, leaders in policing. I am still a young buck, 25, 24, 25 years on now. What was a leader in policing versus today? We have seen this evolution where, and this is the reason why I am in the position I am in Ottawa. Uh, It wouldn't be a difference if I was in Toronto or anywhere, but we have lost the traditional leaders in policing. The chiefs used to be the leaders in policing. The associations had an administrative role. The, the amount of times where associations had to speak in the media, in fact, Greg, and you would probably be one of the first people to break away from that traditional role. The vast majority of association leaders for what we're 75 years now, Ottawa, for decades, the vast majority of the association time was, the position was we don't need to speak publicly. The chiefs defend policing, we all go about doing the labor work, the grievances, the PSA. You know, officers weren't charged criminally at the rate that they are now. So there would be once, uh, once a decade, big, gigantic trial. They're rare. Now it is the complete opposite. The pendulum has left the leadership of policing to the associations. And without any authorities, think about it, Craig. We really, in this role, we have very little authorities. We have a collective agreement and there's some labor laws. Outside of that and uh, you know, an arbitration process, I have no authority within the membership. I have influence. You had influence. But outside of using legal channels, we don't have an act that really gives us, as association presidents, authorities. So every time we speak on behalf of the members, we can't do so with some sort of order. Outside of influence, we don't have legal authorities over them. The chiefs have all the authorities, and they were for many hundreds of years. They were the leaders in policing. In the last decade plus, what we have seen, and Greg, you saw it too. We saw, you know, chiefs are not selected by their policing skills. Let's be crystal clear on this. And I, you know, I'm sure that's not a new phenom. The selection process of chief of police is very political. It's about their the attributes that are desirable through the uh, police services board, whoever's hiring them. There's nothing to do with policing. It's a political appointment. You know, the interview process is, it's ridiculous. It's a fallacy to suggest that an interview is going to influence what a police services board is going to select. They've already predetermined what they want. They'll just wait for that candidate to come forward. Those leaders don't exist anymore policing on the sworn side, like in the uniform side. The leaders now fall within the informal. There are brave, courageous, both sworn and civilian. We have some very great leaders on both sides of the house, uh, sworn and civilian, but they are... At the lower levels, it's just a natural inherent trait about them. But the official leadership position now has fallen to the associations, which is why you are seeing the attack of policing occur in a much more uh, just progress quicker now, because that that vacuum is now to the, where the chiefs have completely abdicated their role as leaders of policing, has turned to the associations. And, you know, without any authorities, now it's whether the media wants to come speak to us or not right? We get our voice out. We have our own platforms. I have a website. I have, you know, we have social media abilities. I have good connections within the media as in I've been doing it for 10 years now. So I'm fortunate in that way. I don't have to establish that. My contact information is known. I can make a statement all I want. If the media won't print it, you, you can rest assured that that same, you won't see a similar statement from the chief of police.
2: Well, it is. Uh, and this is coming from some of the biggest supporters I have for the podcast are
0: It's literally a dead end.
1: But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best.
0: Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here.
1: REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated.
2: Active command members and retired command members, uh, what we call the white shirts, senior management, they just feel like lame ducks now. It's the police service board or city hall that really control the service. They, they have no idea what to do when it comes to policing. They don't have the, the guts to do what your people do. And they sit back at their desk and make these decisions from a 1,000 miles away that are going to affect the health and safety of police officers. And that, that's my next topic. My lead into the next topic is the, the health and safety side of, of this. When decisions come down, Politically, that could bring harm to a member or several members of yours. Should the health and safety side of this, of protecting your members, come up more now? Because there are some decisions that are being made that could put the lives, serious injury, towards your members.
3: Yeah. You know, Craig, I'm going to uh, actually focus health and safety on what has been my mission. This is personal. I, I chose this. For me, health and safety has to do with the health part. I have, uh, and I think I'm the only one who's done it in Canada, sorry, in the Canadian side, but I actually, when I became president, I started developing the business case, which is funny, as the association president, I developed a business case for the service to create full-time sergeants, uh, positions within the organization for the health aspect, peer support, resiliency, and my new passion now is around moral injury and fatigue management because most people understand this, that safety is, it's inherent, the knowledge that people have around the dangers of poisoning. They understand the knives, the guns, the gigantic uh, drunk that comes out of a bar at six foot four, and, you know, two o'clock in the morning and you're walk, turning around a corner and you're like, wow. Most people entering the profession understand the safety aspect. Where the metaphorical dangers where I think are more pronounced are the moral injuries, the knives in the back, the betrayal. The yeah. more, the more I, can't, I can't say it enough. But I'll con- continue to repeat it. So moral injury, one of the best terms, is the institutional betrayals, which is the metaphorical knife in the back. I have, I would say 40% of my members who are off right now on either LT, the long-term disability, or on workplace workers' comps, really. The 40% of them are off because of what's happened at work, inside. Yeah, 60% absolutely there's a combination of internal issues but also traumatic events absolutely a lot of those too we screen for people to come in but you can only see so much before it before it breaks people i see that as our biggest liability right now there are absolutely there are plenty of decisions out there that i think render policing more dangerous from the traditional sense you know whether or not uh, you know are there discussions around when we're using the firearms tasers etc as we just saw in the u.s just a couple of days ago i've been an advocate since day one of body-worn cameras from my perspective it's going to far away any negativity that could come from it 98 percent of our members are going to be cleared within five minutes good luck if you've never been under investigation for criminal events for doing your freaking job in the first place i almost swore there. that was funny um That's, you know we, try suffering being don't worry accused about of it something. no thanks okay don't you wouldn't have to it. hopefully you don't have to believe it uh, it is a podcast, See, I guess. You've I been very really uh,
2: polite so far, Matt. I appreciate Thank you. That.
3: Thank you. Try sitting there for six months to a year being accused of something where body-worn cameras could have cleared you within a week, right? So it's exhausting. I think that's the biggest danger right now is the the betrayal of the media, of social media, those people who are attacking without any liability. Our members are forced to remain silent because otherwise they could lose their jobs. The leadership has turned to the association with limited, very limited authorities. To me, it's this. It's the health and safety. To me, it's the health aspect that is our greatest liability
2: right now. Well, we don't talk enough about the walking wounded, legitimate walking wounded of any police service where a lot of police officers and your civilian members are suffering mentally. And it is, I, I just did a podcast on it. It's the bad guys come from the front, the police service or politicians will come from the rear. And in the States, they call it a Van Houser. It's like that's causing the majority of the walking wounded right now. Within a right. present
3: you have absenteeism. You have presenteeism, which people are showing up doing nothing because they are. You know, it ties into morale too. And morale, I don't always—I always you know, am always, fair on this one. Morale is not only a chief's responsibility. There is a lot of lot tied into it, but a chief can only handle so much when the provincial or state legislatures make comments like they want to see people suspended without pay even though they have yet to be even
2: investigated,
3: uh, investigated, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it's just an accusation without investigation. There's people saying that they want to suspend without pay. The other one was they want to be able to investigate and charge you even at a, the act level. So the provincial level like the police service act level, there was even discussion a couple years ago where they wanted to be able to charge you and convict you of police service act offenses when you've already retired. There is no other legislation in this world that holds Uh, employment penalties for somebody who's already left the employer. But yet for policing, somehow this is a conversation because it's okay, it's okay to attack the police. It is okay, it has been, there's a permission now granted to people to say that police are substandard. They are a different class of person. And this leads to the root problem, is that there is an assumption on the intent of policing when they act in a certain way there's an assumption on intent right away to criminality. That there was some criminal intent in their actions, as opposed to the reality, we hire from the human race. These are human beings, they're screened, they're tested. These are still human beings. And to, this is what has always been a real problem. It's never sat well with me, is seeing my members who I take, I hold very dear, seeing them charged, seeing, knowing that they get charged criminally when they're doing their job, they were trained to do it. They the policies require them to do it. They're paid to do it. Let, let society is endorsing the legislation is clear, and that they're they're questioned to the intent of criminality. I that never sits well. For
2: me. Well, my friend, I appreciate you coming on. I'd love to have you come on some other times also whenever issues come up. You're very brave at doing your job. You know what you've gone through, and you are right. You have the support of your board and your members, which is everything in our business. And you are one of the leaders out there, one of the top leaders in this country when it comes to uh, protecting police officers. I applaud you and look forward to talking to you again.
3: Craig, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It is, it's an absolute honor for me to be on your show. Thank you so much.
2: Well, I've been keeping an eye on you. Job well done. Keep it going. Yeah, you're doing the right thing. I wish more would follow your style. And I think that will come in time, so. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Anybody wants to get a hold of us, go to info at copfather.com. This is Copfather. See you soon.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
1: When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice.
0: Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac?